Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee, the managing editor at AnyFem, and you can find all my writings on my blog, The Jose Next Door, and hang out with me on Twitter, at Jose Next Door. And I am joined today by fellow AnyFem staffers, Vry and Peter. Hey, uh, I'm Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, I'm also a freelancer. You can find me and the stuff I do on Twitter, at writer Vry, or you can find the other podcast I co-host at TrashPod. And I'm Peter Phobian. I'm a producer at Crunchyroll and uh, I guess mostly just an editor now at Anime Feminist. And a podcast editor. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, and if edit. you ever if you ever get the bug to write for us again, you know, you're welcome to do so. I keep um, saying I'm gonna, but Yeah. I get it. We're all don't do that. We're all busy. So really busy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but today, folks, we're not talking about editing. We are talking about the fall twenty nineteen season retrospective. Um, for those those who have never heard one of our season retrospectives or our check-in before, we are going to be going through the shows that aired this season, uh, focusing obviously on the ones we actually watched to completion. Um, we will be using our Premiere Review Digest list as kind of our um, organizational model. Uh, so we'll start from the bottom of that and work our way up. You're welcome to track that down on our site if you want to follow along that way. Um, so the bottom of the list are shows that, you know, had some red flags, some more serious concerns for uh, your sort of feminist-minded audience. And um, I can say I'm not watching any of them, but Peter, I know you're keeping up with a few. Was there anything in that um, bottom batch that you wanted to talk about that maybe has done something exciting, surprising since uh, the mid-season check-in, or has it all kind of stayed the course? I've been looking at Orisuki, trying to remember if I talked about, like, the midpoint uh, kind of plot event between the main character and uh, Pansy. Mm-hmm. Did I? I'm not it, sure if I mentioned it that. It doesn't sound season. familiar, but that was, like, eight years ago, so I, I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've been, yeah, it's a, a little bit. I've been hearing some talk about, like, character development or something, but it seems like that plot point revolves around, like, she lets him, or she tells him to read a book, and he intends to read the book, because maybe he's actually a nice guy. Book gets ruined, he feels bad, and then he tells her he's going to work a part-time job to buy her a new book. Apparently it's an expensive book. Um, And she says, I don't want that. Uh, I'd rather just spend time with you instead of you going to this part-time job. I don't really care about the book. And he basically says, no, this is the best way to make it up to you. Uh, and she says, I don't want that. Very, very specifically says, I don't want that. And he goes, well, like, this this is the best thing I can do for you, which I thought was, like, the worst thing it could do. It was, it was kind of, like, framed incorrectly, so I thought it might handle the plot point well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turned out the lesson he needed to learn was that he was wanting to buy her a new book to save his pride, not because he wanted to really get her a new book. So in the end, he actually did truly want to get her a new book and made it up to her in the way that she didn't want him to by doing this thing. In the way she expressly uh, said she didn't want him to, so. Yeah, and that was his character development, continuing to do the thing that she asked him not to, but for the right reasons. Okay. Great job, Oreski. Yeah. <sighs> I just thought I had to, yeah, I, I don't know, I've been hearing good things about the show, but I have just not been seeing them, so uh, it's been very confusing for me. Uh, <laughs> I guess some people interpret this as character development, I don't. Um, Komono Michi pretty much stayed the course. We talked about how the the vampires has got a huge problem, right? I don't know if it was introduced right away, but she is uh, very attracted to the little girl that she works for. No! Oh, boy. Yeah. 
So uh, I figured, yeah. That's, God that's damn it, another goddamn lesbian pedophile. Yep. Yep. Always offering to help her change clothes and stuff. It's very bad. Oh, uh, I think wow. they, they kind of slow burn that one in. So, so I wasn't sure if that made it to the that next That was season not. Either. That was not. And that sucks because she was also like a really great strong muscle lady. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Also, they do a bunch of character development toward her finally getting a rematch against the other vampire, and it's uh, uh, it's a letdown in the end, so that didn't end well. Just nothing good comes of that character, it turns out. Uh, oh, also the princess uh, who he did the suplex to in the beginning of the show keeps bugging him, and every time it ends up with her getting suplexed, and then they trick her into... Or I guess they asked her. They asked her to do a wrestling match in their big, like, exhibition match to close out the series. Uh, and she gets a exhibitionist fetish over the course of the match. And that's her character arc. You know what? Actually, this does sound like the kind of thing that Vince McMahon would write. So fucking, <laughs> you know. Mayonnaise, they uh, invent nuclear weapons and use them in the fantasy world. And that's the end of the series. It's a very hopeful note. Wow. Dark. Mayonnaise is... Such a train wreck. Yeah, uh, folks at home, that's what we call, that's what we've been calling uh, High School Prodigies Have It Easy in Another World. I think I got the title right there. I don't know, they're long. Um, yeah, we've been calling it mayonnaise, which sounds like it was not a bad description for it all the way through. Um, yeah, I heard that one was a pretty epic train wreck. With some, fair, not even necessarily in a fun way, like with some pretty significant content warnings too, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. It it got, I think that one got kind of worse over the course of the season, too. Lots of mm-hmm. scenes of them in baths or getting massages in very specific parts of their body, lovingly animated each time. Of Lots course. of attention to, to details and stuff. Uh, they always bring across the, the little magician boy, too, to all the girl events. In a way, he doesn't seem like he wants to do it, but they drag him along anyway, uh, which is also uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Not not good. Average ability stayed the course. Okay. Uh, yeah, it had those problems in the first three episodes, but after that, it's pretty just kind of a tongue-in-cheek comedy. They keep going into grim areas, but then, like, kind of making jokes about it in a way that I didn't find. Uh, it was weird, but not offensive. Okay. <laughs> no Guns Life. Yeah. No Guns Life got more and more boring as the show went on until... Yes, I can actually talk about this one a little bit. How did you Did you finish the core, or...? I have watched everything but the last episode, which I'm sure is like a non-fight between him and the other gunhead kid. Yeah, I think this one's carrying over into the winter season or it's split core or something. I think it's Ugh. a longer one as well. Oh, you that was such a happy noise you made. Uh, yeah, so I checked in in the mid-season and said I'd really liked the first arc, basically, and then I really wasn't yeah. digging what it did after that, and then it soured me because of its very uh, stereotypically uh, nasty portrayal of the trans landlady. And, oh, yeah, that was yeah. awful. Um, I mean, it was like five minutes, which was the one reason I was able to kind of push through it, but it wasn't good. Um, oh, it keeps coming back. Oh, hooray. I was worried about that, yeah. Um, and then I went on vacation, and I got behind on things, and I tried to get back into No Guns Life, and I got like one episode in and went, I am just like completely bored. So the fact that you said it continues to just not be interesting is is a bummer, because I genuinely enjoyed that first arc. It was like campy and pulpy in in. But also kind of sincere in ways that I thought were really worthwhile and fun, and yeah, so it, it sucks that it, it kind of lost track of that as it went as it continued. D, may I suggest the recently remasters Gunsmith Cats OVA? It's all those things yeah. and more. Well, there you go. Watch that <laughs> instead, I guess. Yeah. Also, they introduced that very strong woman commissioner of police mm-hmm. whose plan basically just becomes, "I hope Gunhead Man saves me." 
Ugh. That's your plan. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't planning on coming back, and you are not selling me on it, so. Yeah, I'm also not sure if she's dead. Very <laughs> weird. They have a scene where she's like in a car that explodes, and I don't think they ever cover whether or not she survived. Oh, if they di- if yeah. they didn't show a body, she's alive. <laughs> That's... Yeah, like yeah, the way they didn't show a body, so I was assuming she would like show up in a hospital bed later or something. But it just like they just forgot she existed instead. Huh. Maybe in the last episode she came back. They'll but, touch uh, back on it or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're all care. Swell. Fate. I don't know what I could really say about fate. It's just the same kind of thing that you touched on at the midseason. Yeah, skimpy outfits, slow battles without consequences or meaning. It's fate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. I was hoping it would be a Gilgamesh heavy type, and oh, what's his buddy's name from the uh, legend? Enkidu. Enkidu, yeah. Yeah. I was hoping it would like really focus on the two of them and be a really um, like clever, por- clever and interesting portrayal of the Gilgamesh character, who is a magnificent bastard in the other Fate series, and I enjoy him quite a lot. Um, but I guess it doesn't sound like it necessarily focuses on them as much as I was hoping it would. Gilgamesh in this one, it's like he's the same character, but they're doing the thing they're doing in Orisuki where they insist that he's actually a good person. Mm. Uh, yeah, just despite the fact that he is obviously an asshole. Um, I mean, he's not, he doesn't, he's just, a, he's just an asshole though, I guess, rather than like sacrificing his own people, at least the point I'm in. Um, and the whole Enkidu thing is, I don't know, they, where I am, because uh, there's like a difference in the episode count depending upon what service you're using. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, had like a short fight where the, the the whole drama with Enkidu is just kind of lost in fate shenanigans like to describe what's going on with Enkidu takes so long that you just kind of like all the drama and like character feeling just bleeds right out of the subplot because your, you have to yes. go through so many details your eyes just glaze like, over yeah that's what happened in the back half of fate stay night for me uh, unlimited yeah. light works i mean yeah oh yeah with the whole like yeah there might be some drama with him fighting his future self but it takes so long to explain how that happened that you're just like oh i don't care anymore that was a hell of a one, yeah. a hell of a spoiler you just casually dropped in the middle of this podcast Peter. nothing uh, makes sense or lasts in fate so it doesn't matter anyway that's also probably true it probably got retconned at some point um yeah and also it happens to every character as well apparently any character that's a fan favorite becomes a servant at some point so they can keep using their character design excellent so good hey how about cautious hero did it start being funny again or nah no damn it had damn. a very disappointing ending too uh, for me personally yeah because you know how there's those two kids that follow them around and the girl can cast fast and slow spells and the guy can turn into a dragon? I didn't quite get that far, but sure. Yeah. That, okay, that seems cool. They, they, they spend the whole anime developing these abilities, but he continues to refer to them as like basically as caddies who carry around his stuff and they never get to do anything the whole time. <laughs> okay. And then in the last fight, that he's in an area where if he dies, he you know the whole thing where if he dies, he just goes back to his normal world. Yeah. Okay, that will not happen. He'll die forever. Okay. And he's, he's, there's something is killing him faster than the healing lady can heal him. Uh-huh. So in my head, I was thinking, like, this is the moment. Like, they're, they, like they've like they been built up as only having, like, one ability each. And all she does is she needs to cast slow on him so he dies slower. Uh-huh. Fast on the girl so she heals faster. The guy yeah. turns into a dragon and carries them all out of the room so he can reincarnate. Instead, uh-huh. they just watched and did nothing. <laughs> So they have no character arc. They continue to just be characters that do absolutely nothing. Uh, The ending had kind of a weird-ass twist, but Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, I don't know what to say. It just, it stayed the course. 
That's mm-hmm. a bummer. That's an, we talked about that in mid-season, too. I, I loved those first couple episodes, and it just, yeah, very quickly got old, which is too bad. Um, is Blade of the Immortal still good? I know the last time you said, like, it's kind of content warning heavy as far as violence and stuff, but that it was a really good adaptation of the material. Uh, did I say really good? <laughs> you said, you like, said it was a good adaptation yeah. of the material. It's yeah. good. Yeah, it's it's good. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about really good. Like, uh, it, with those types of shows like that and Berserk, I would say it deserves, like, uh, the quality that, like, Maiden Abyss got. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, so if it's not that, I always feel like they could have done it a better job, especially with, like, these really cinematic fight-heavy series. So, but I think it's definitely much better than the B-Train one, and it's, it's like, pretty good. It's, like, better than... Actually, I'm not going to qualify it next to any other anime. It's just... It's good. I, I That would take too long. Um, sure. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I find it really hard to talk about Blade of the Immortal because it is extremely, yeah, lots of content warnings. Uh, it's got, like, lots of gore and stuff. I don't really know how to talk about the series. It's just one that I really personally love. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really be interested to hear some other takes on it, actually. But I can say as far as, like, adaptations go, uh, the quality has been consistent. It's That's got good. a really good soundtrack, visuals. Uh, I mean, there's always more opportunity they could have taken with, like, fights and certain animations, but I feel like they've done a really good job. That's good. So, especially yeah. if you like the source material, check this one out. And I, that's one that I watched the first episode and went, this seems like quality, but I do not have the energy for a grimdark action series at this exact moment in my life. So, that might be one I eventually check out when I'm uh, in a place where I'm not, like, just actively seeking out, like, feel-good, fun stuff. Because um, it seems like it could be kind of a tough watch along the way. Um, I don't know about that. It's like surprisingly tongue-in-cheek considering the content in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two main characters, Manji and, oh, I don't remember her name, they k- kind of give each other shit constantly in kind of like a very sibling-like kind of way. Okay. And um, yeah, a lot of characters act very strangely, and it's usually pointed out when that they're weirdos. I mean, there is, like, a lot of, like, violence and, like, really heavy feelings, but I do feel, like, you'd be surprised how, like, it, funny it is. It finds ways to balance to balance that with some levity. That That's huge yeah, for definitely. shows like that. So, okay, that, that makes me more likely to give it a try. We'll kind of see how the winter season goes mm-hmm. um, and if I have time to get to that one. Yeah, give it a shot. Cool. Good to know. Uh, let's see. Oh, next. Next <laughs> is... Next is mine. Dear God, what do I even say about this? Okay, so the next one is Babylon. Um, it's on Amazon Strike, so, like, nobody's watching it, so, um, I guess I don't really have to go into great detail about it. Um, not Strike. Strike doesn't exist anymore. It's just on Amazon Prime. Prime um, video. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, with, in, the, the in the links a couple weeks back, we, uh, we included that, the article that Mitchie and I think Nick did about the first eight episodes, that, that is pretty choice in laying out all the fuckery. Yeah, they covered the first, they covered the first seven. They covered what had happened before they went on their, like, month-long break, um, and... This Week in Anime. It was a magnificent This Week in Anime about, about what a, what a train wreck of a show this is. So, Babylon, it, hmm, how do I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. So, so, for folks at home, it hasn't finished yet. The, the release schedule for this one was really weird. Um, episode, I think episode nine dropped, like, today, but it wasn't available yesterday when I was catching up on stuff, so I haven't watched it yet. Um, and we're recording this on New Year's Day for folks at home. So by the time this gets out, like there'll be, there probably will be another episode of a few of these. Um, I had kind of stopped because the release schedule was so weird. And then I went ahead and went back to it most somewhat for this podcast, somewhat because I was 
sort of morbidly fascinated based on that This Week in Anime post about the shit that went down in Episode 7. And holy cow, the shit that went down in Episode 7. Like, first of all, major content warnings for some pretty brutal, not graphically shown, but enough um, violence against women. Um, one woman in particular, by another woman. I don't think that necessarily makes it better. Um, the mostly for whore th- of Babylon D. Yeah, and solely for the sake of uh, man pain. Like, she brutally murders... There's, like, two prominent female characters, and um, the evil one prominent uh, brutally murders the other one um, via live stream to make a point about how she wants the main detective, uh, Seizaki, to really think about um, what it means to be evil and, like, what her reasonings are for being evil. Because that's, like, her whole thing is, like, understand the difference between good and evil. You've never been confronted with evil before, so I'm going to force you to be confronted with it. I love psychopaths. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It wouldn't bother me as much if there were more female characters. And if she hadn't brutally murdered the only other female character for Man Pain, like, and it was, it's a really un, like, again, they don't, they don't show it, but they show the build up to it and her walking around with this axe and there's some kind of hilarious, there's, okay, there's some hilarious splice cuts between um, her basically carving up this person and Seizaki's uh, wife and kid who. Um, are, you know, sort of like the naive, protected, never had to face evil sort of thing. So there's this smash cut between the two of them, but they're like making lunch. So like they're chopping up sausages and squirting ketchup onto omelets and it's uh, not subtle and kind of silly. (laughs) And the thing is that scene is like gut-wrenchingly tense until they start doing those cuts and then it's kind of silly. (laughs) So I don't know what this show is. So there's a, so there's a, a crazy evil woman. And then there is this other political drama aspect to the story about this politician who wants to um, legalize legalize and, like, de-stigmatize, I guess, suicide? And it's – the conversation they're trying to have is one about sort of, like, the right to choose things like euthanasia or if you want to be an organ donor to somebody and like willingly sacrificing yourself for somebody else. And they're trying to have those kind of conversations, which is a li- like, I think that's an actual philosophical discussion you could have in an anime. Um, but because it's smashed up against, uh, first of all, some kind of, their, their arguments are kind of silly, the way they try to present uh, some of the reasoning behind it. And then because it's smashed up against this uh, woman who is, like, whispering in people's ears and making them murder themselves, um, I don't know what they're doing. I have no idea what the show is, but I can't I can't look away. So I can't recommend it unless you're really into train wrecks. Um, it is, it is a, a pretty high-quality train wreck. Um, but again, with lots of content warnings for violence and a lot of suicide um, shown on screen. Um, so yeah, be careful with this one, folks, at home. I, I I meant to catch up on this one just because I think having an anime about like legalizing euthanasia and that kind of thing it, it's like a that's an interesting topic and probably one we should like be looking at more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like it was just a tool that the villain uses to murder people and is therefore probably the worst thing they could have done with that as a subject. It seems to be the writer's thing to have like the the really makes you think done it, and where like he's interested in genuinely interesting issues and not necessarily good at executing on them. Yeah, this was the writer who did Kato, so that tracks. 
Um, oh damn! Yeah. <laughs> so like, you remember uh, Cotto, Peter? <laughs> I do. I I got the box set. Yeah, it was good I, up until Magical Girls. I still yep. low key. I still low key really like Cotto. Um, I do not. Oh, I do same. not low key really like Babylon. There's there's way too much uh, weird shit. Oh, and now the U.S. government is involved, and we just met um, the president. Oh, also this show has like a misogynist streak a mile. It's misogynistic, and then sometimes it's just good old-fashioned sexism. Um, we meet the American president who is, like, this big... He was sickly growing up, and he got really into, like, MMOs, and then, like, through the power what? of positive thinking... Oh, yeah, no, they just dropped the the president of the, the this made-up president's backstory on us in the most baffling five-minute uh, segment about his life. <laughs> just but, an aside. Yeah, um, he was He's sickly the growing up. from Twitter. Yeah, uh... He was sickly growing up, and then through, like, the power of positive thinking and alternative medicine, he <laughs> fixed himself, I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and he's, he's, he's a deep thinker. He just thinks there's always going to be an answer to a problem. He just has to think hard enough about it. Okay. And he – but the whole thing with him getting into the MMO was, like, in college, he got super into this MMO, became one of the best players. And then he met this um, – he met this other player who asked him for help, and it turns out she was, like, a woman who lived near him – young woman. They were about the same age. And she's like this jaw-droppingly gorgeous model, and he can't believe she'd ever want to see him again because he's just this this weak little nerd boy. And she like pulls him to the side and is like, "You don't understand how wonderful you are. Um, you're so cool in this game, and you're such a great guy. And like, I'm going to spend my life showing you how great you are." And I'm like, "Wow, uh, you could have maybe done something okay with this about like self confidence and self worth, but it was like we just threw in this other female character to." Uh, dedicate her life to like helping this nerd boy feel good about himself basically is this sort out online <laughs> is, is he kirito what's his name kazuma <laughs> I does he dual wield i believe his name is alex so ah, shit. he okay. might he might he might dual wield in the mmo he he i believe still plays um but anyway yeah so the u.s government gets involved and um there's some really subtle imagery about how knowledge and death go hand in hand with like a big old bowl of apples on screen. Thank you for that, Babylon. <laughs> I've talked way too much about this show. I feel like I'm selling it to people and I don't know if that's what I want to be doing. But uh, it's a trip. Um, and if you can stomach the uh, if you can stomach the, the kind of graphic violence that that intersperses it, it is um, in its own weird way, uh, maybe maybe worth your time if you're looking for just like just the wildest thing I've seen this season i think i, I feel um, like we'll have to come back to babylon in ne the next mid-season because who knows so when it's gonna be over yeah because i am genuinely i have no idea what it's trying to say i do not know what its thesis statement is right now because it's again it's pairing this this like actual philosophical conversation up against um this pulpy serial killer plotline, and i do not i don't get how the two are supposed to converge at this point so actually this is helicato <laughs> lots of questions at the beginning and then just the end is yeah except kato didn't hate its female characters so much as it was profoundly uninterested in them it's a it's a step up in that regard and it had gay aliens peter it was gay alien hannibal yeah. it did have yeah. gay aliens so far no gay aliens in this one but i mean there's still four episodes left and we did have a a random we did randomly introduce the president of the united states as a major character that's true so who knows okay anyway yeah i spent way too much time on babylon um but that's fine i had kind of fun talking about it what's next um is iruma kun still nice peter uh yeah 
It's still nice. Uh, okay, apparently, good. it's uh, two core at least. Okay. Um, I was worried for a bit that it was kind of headed into a battle manga direction uh, with like them playing. There was this dodgeball arc, and now he wants to become a top student where you have to win stuff. But I think it's he's just gonna kind of fail upward like he's been doing. So, uh, still fun. Yeah. That's good. I'm I'm glad Iron Makun is still enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, next on the list, Vry, you can finally talk about a show! Yay! <laughs> Outburst Dreamer Boys, which um, was, we just dropped our, as of the day of recording this, we just dropped our recommendations post for the season, and this was um, a surprise favorite for you, me, and Caitlin. So, um, I've been talking for a bit. Would you like to talk about the Dreamer Boys? Um, it's a good and nice show. It, it makes me feel warm inside. I feel like it's so rare to see shows that are both kind of poking fun at being a cringy teenager, but also very, but without feeling mean-spirited or like a cringe comedy, but also not tipping the other direction and feeling like it's constantly brimming without inside jokes that are A, going to age really quickly, and B, going to alienate uh, an audience who isn't really, who isn't otaku who are really into currently airing stuff. Like, it feels, it feels accessible, but also like, it understands the Im- the general impulse of what it means to be just nerdily obsessed with something. Uh, my my wife called it, "What if uh, Haruhi Suzumiya, but like not aggressively shitty," and I can't stop thinking about that. So it seems accurate to me. Do you want to go into more detail with that? Yeah, sorry, no, that's um because it's like about this club of weirdos, and there's like this nebulously kind of winking reality warping element to it with the the main heroine um but also these characters are i feel like a lot nicer in their ribbing each of each other they there's a lot um the show is really good at balancing character dynamics but there's not this sense that they're all raging jerkwads um who are kind of picking on each other throughout the the runtime and also like i said there's there's a lot of this element of here's dirty stuff here's um, here's, you know, about being an otaku without it feeling like it is pandering to an otaku audience. Yeah, I think it's really, um, it, that's a good point. It balances the kind of, kind of more, instead of going like hyper-specific real world references, um, so it's not like the kid who's really into uh, Sentai is into a real Sentai show and they're constantly dropping nods to a real show that if you haven't watched it, it's just going to, you're not going to understand it at all. Um, but it's still at the same time, I think, specific enough that it feels genuine. Does that make sense? Like, it's not like Big Bang Theory nerds where everybody likes the same things and um, it feels like somebody's vague approximation of what it means to be geeky. Like, the kid who's really into idols, he's not into a real idol, but he's into an idol who we get a feel for what this character is in the world that we're watching. Um, so it does, It's it kind of grounds itself in that while also um, being kind of silly and poking fun at the kids in very good-natured ways, I think. It's got such a good eye for, I think, what good long-lasting parody does, which is capturing the feel of a moment without without dating itself. And I feel like that's a little bit lost of an art, like uh, like the, the, the constant despair over bad gotcha roles. It's very, yes. very funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not even, I'm hesitant to even call it a parody. It's definitely That's a true. comedy series, but I don't, I don't feel like it's necessarily making fun of. I think it's a love letter that doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, it is exuberant and it is encouraging these kids and by extension the audience to, you know, be 
open about the things you're passionate about and like not feel like you have to hide those things or be ashamed of them. But at the same time, it's not it's not smug. It's not like snubbing its nose at, uh, you know, the normies who don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very you start to meet other kids at the school who it turns out that they really like the Hero Club because they're just nice kids who will help them out. Um, you start to meet some of the other kids at the school who aren't, you know, big geeks, but they're also, again, good kids with the drama club I love so much. They're so great. Um, there's a whole arc with them, and their president is wonderful. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think, and I think you described it in one of the, in one of our group chats as like a really good example of like positive masculinity. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a good way of wording it because it's also a series about like, wanting to help people and like use your power to you know support and assist others and um you know to be like confident in the things you love but not to be you know not to use that to like lord it over other people or be controlling um and also because we haven't talked about the female main character Mizki has a really nice arc too she does i was i said at the mid-season i was a little bit worried that she was going to be kind of stuck in a passive reactionary role for the whole story but it really is about her coming to this new school and kind of getting roped into this club that she's not so sure about. Um, but then over the course of the run, she gets to know the, the kids and, and the other kids at the school too, not just the club mates and really start to take pride in what the hero club does and become like genuinely invested in these kids. And it's just a really nice little friendship story that builds to her having a, a really nice heroic active moment at the end to kind of help save the day. And I love that it's about doing like tangible good in their community as like as mm-hmm. much as they love all these fictional things. They're out there helping and connecting with with actual people and it's just nice. Yeah, in in really mundane simple ways who just appreciate what they're doing for them, you know. Yeah, and it also it's so rare to see an 11 episode anime that actually feels like it's comfortably 11 episodes, not like it was Yeah. cut to that length. Yeah, it is, it is, it is 11 episodes and it absolutely fits in that 11. Because we were getting towards the end of episode 11. I was like, is there going to be another one just as like a wrap up conclusion episode? Because at this point, I feel like we've done everything. But yeah, it has a, it has a, it's really well paced. I think it's based on like a one shot manga. And I I would imagine they added some extra details um, for the character arcs. Um, But yeah, I feel like they, they hit the beats really well. Everyone kind of has these nice little character arcs and the school as a whole has kind of its own arc and it's just it's a good show it's it's well put together it's it's nice all the way through it has some it has some good things some good valuable things to say and it's just very enjoyable to watch so yeah this is big surprise good good stuff i feel like a lot of people slept on this one just because it it looks like a lot of it it looks like it fits into like a sort of genre of show that is okay but nothing remarkable as like a season time filler but this one really is worth actively seeking out yeah, I agree. It's also, I would say, pretty family-friendly. Like, I would have no problem showing this to, like, a 10-year-old. Yeah. I can't really think of anything in it that I would be hesitant about. Like, it's very, um, it's, yeah, I would say it's very family-friendly, mm-hmm. which is always good to have. So, fun for all ages. Yay. Okay, that's probably enough uh, <laughs> of us uh, lavishing love on Outburst Dreamer Boys, um, unless there was anything else you wanted to bring up. I don't think so. It, it's just, they're they're good. They're nice kids. I like them. Okay. Uh, yeah, me too. Hard same. Uh, okay, so, Peter, you got to take a little break, and now you get to talk again. Um, ass pride! Sorry, it's called Assassins. <laughs> it's called... That's not... 
That's not its name. That's what Chiaki called it one time in the chat. And I said, well, any show called Ass Pride must be good. And she said, unfortunately, there aren't that many butts in it. <laughs> so we no. decided three out of ten, not enough vampire butts. Um, no. But no, Peter, it's actually called Assassin's Pride. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I know Chiaki genuinely liked this one. She was like, it's got some problems, but I enjoyed watching it. Um, how, how did you feel oh, about yeah. it? I'd, I'd say all my concerns were realized. Oh, um, dear. Yeah. Yeah. All the, you know, you see the the little girl and the uh, her, her butler, swordmaster guy, and there's the, kind of like the low-key, um, what, what should I call it, admiration thing, potentially tipping into romance. It's just yeah. was like straight-up romance. Uh, I kind of, I really liked, uh, his name's Kufa and Rosetti as a couple because she got a crush on him after they performed a perfect combination attack. Oh, cool. Uh, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like the greatest basis for a relationship I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but it turns out she's his, like, I don't know if it's biological sister, but they were like, like, like maybe in the same orphanage or something. Kind of brother and sister as kids and he saved her life and erased her memory. So her loving him was probably the fact that she kind of didn't not quite remember that he was her beloved brother or something. Oh, I love anime. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, okay. So, and they're going to have an arc where they marry her off to some guy. And uh, I think there's some mind control involved, which they break by, uh, Melida going up and bragging how many times she's kissed Kufa. And then they get in an argument over who loves him more. And that breaks the hypnosis. I hate that. (laughs) Don't love that. Yeah. So was, not, uh, not one you not would great. not one you would recommend even with caveats, it sounds like. You really didn't care for it. Slow um, fade out. Is it I was gonna say, is it is it one that's carrying over or getting a split core or is it just sort of done? Mm, Our journey not to continues. My knowledge. Okay. I can't did it even have a but our battle continues ending? I I'm pretty sure I watched the last episode, but it just was like such a a not an ending that I it didn't leave the impression in me that the show was over. I believe I have watched all the episodes. That might be the most damning thing you could say about a show <laughs> is, I think I watched the episode. I don't remember. It's been like four days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's rough. Okay. Well, fare thee well, Ass Pride. Yeah, um, speaking of endings. Speaking of endings, the next show on our list is Stars Aligned, which we're going to... Okay. Okay, right. If you need to get out a few more sad moans before no, we continue. No, carry on. Okay. I mean, I want to I want to give you some time to be sad. I don't want to jump all over that. No, um, go, go ahead. Super Saiyan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, let's let's do our very best not to spoil exactly how it ends. Suffice to say, folks, uh, this one ends on a uh, massive cliffhanger because of studio fuckery. Um, this show was initially planned to be like 24 or 26 episodes to core. And um, I guess really really late in the production process, the the creative team got told just kidding it's only going to be one core and they had the choice to either try to hack and slash everything down to a core or just put out half the show and hope it did well enough that maybe someday they'd get a season two um and they went with option two so we get literally half a series um and i think it could have truthfully i because the show is one for folks if you've if you've not heard us talk about this up to this point this is a show that is um engaged it's about a soft a boys soft tennis club but it's engaging as much with their home lives as it is the sport element of the story um and most of them come from very rough home lives in one way or another um 
it's very interested in exploring different kinds of parental abuse, be that, um, you know, you're more, what you tend to see in fiction, which is, you know, your more violent abuse or stories about um, helicopter parenting or just like emotional distance and things like that. Um, and then it also has, and right, we'll, right, we'll, 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 we'll dig more into this later as well. It also has some elements where it's exploring um, some queer characters and um, the way there's a couple of girls who have their own little arcs too. Anyway, it's doing a lot. Um, and I, a lot of it is so complicated that I wasn't really expecting the show to wrap everything up in a neat, tidy bow. But then it, it actively, it doesn't just end on like, oh, we had a nice tennis match and we came together as a team and we still have these problems, but at least we have this like support network with each other. Um, it actively ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, it's so, such a I mean, you, you in a way I kind of respect. It's a massive fuck you to, I guess the, I guess the studio execs um, who decreed this. Um, it, it's, I, th- it's, it's a very good show. I think it's still worth people's time, with the understanding that there are some significant content warnings. Not because it's doing these things poorly, but because they exist and could be triggering for folks. Um, but you do have to go into it aware that uh, we may never get the second half of this story. Yep. 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 Uh, Sorry, did I did I monopolize all the points? I wanted to lay the scene for folks, and then I ended up talking about a lot of other stuff along the way. So it's like it's so depressing because it's like you can't just not tell somebody anyway. It's half finished, but you should watch it anyway. Um, there was recently. I don't. I mean, it's always good to be tweeting. Always. No, that's not true. Always be <laughs> tweeting. <laughs> I, I think it is the the studio was running like a campaign on their website and like a a hashtag monitoring thing from like the end of the series through the end of the year like trying to gauge interest and reactions and that's over now as we're recording and by the time you hear this but I think it's still a good idea to be using the hashtags and like you know if you were at all interested in the show really showing vocal support because this is one where it's not just that sort of nebulous sense it's a a little bit more directly concrete. Hey, we can have an effect on whether there's actually any more of this. Um, but I do still think I, I uh, said in my in my recommendation that I think this is a show that will, if we're lucky, be really clunky a decade from now because other series will have will have had a chance to build on what it's kind of working with here. But it's so important that it kicked open the door in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You're talking, are you talking specifically about like the queer representation? I am certainly talking about that, but like also just in terms of, it's definitely not, there are definitely more series talking about issues of like mental illness and parental abuse and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I always respect shows that are like, we're going to look, we're going to talk about the thing. We have to talk about the yeah. thing. <laughs> Even if it's kind of hitting you in the face with the thing very sincerely but yeah um i think that's how a lot of people heard about this show is the fact that uh the the team manager you is uh that they have an episode where they're where they have to shenanigans dress up in uh in girls uniforms to go spy on another team and you talks to maki the protagonist about how they they you know experiment a lot with feminine presentation with their with their sisters and they've been sort of reading up on stuff in the library and they think that maybe they're ex-gender but they're not really sure that they're comfortable living full-time in feminine presentation but they also feel like they 
they really can't go on living um, and being referred to as a boy. And it's this really nuanced, beautiful kind of um, like episode that I just haven't seen in a lot of anime or Western media, really. And it also is a neat opportunity for Maki to talk about how uh, the character, one of the char- background characters you've seen from the beginning of the show, um, his mom's friend is actually a trans guy, which, you know, there's not a lot of trans rep in anime at all, but most of what there is is uh, trans feminine characters. So it's just nice. It's nice. It's nice and they did it good. And also, a show is also good and what a good dad. <laughs> Which dad? <laughs> <laughs> He's he's trying to he's trying to be a, a I mean it sounds like Maki basically thinks of him as his, as his dad, except that you know there's baggage the on surrogate that term dad. for him. Yeah. Got you. I yeah. thought you meant one of the kids like blood relative dads. I'm like I'm trying to think if there's oh a no good there's dad no the good dads. Um, there's there's a few dads who aren't actively harmful, and that's the best I can say for them. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it can be it can be kind of a rough watch, but I do think it tempers those elements with, um, again, the the scenes of them in the club room, having fun together, doing sporting events, because um, it is it is technically a sports show, but it's like like I think the best sports shows do. Um, it is the sports are a vehicle for character development and exploration of other ideas. Um, so I I like both elements of it because I I just enjoy watching sports series as well. Um, also, the animation is really well done. We haven't talked about that, but it's very fluid it's and really lovely. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. Peter, did you finish this one? Yeah. Okay. I honestly wish they had spent a lot less time on sports, so they could have done. I thought the sports parts were unbearably dull, and oh, I did was you? just like waiting, waiting for the matches to finish, so they could get back to the character stuff. Uh, like, especially, I guess, uh, like in retrospect, it makes more sense since they were, I guess, trying to wrap up the show in two episodes, but. Like, they had spent, like, two episodes trying to research Joy, mm-hmm. and then they, like, beat Joy in a montage. It was very uh, quick, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, in the last episode, they, like, reverse the situation against the twin brothers by, like, just nothing changes, but they 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 win two games suddenly, and then the two brothers, like, high-five each other and then get their momentum back, and then... <laughs> end up defeating uh maki and god i don't remember what glasses kid's name is toma so like that was just kind of like i don't know that's what the sports felt like to me it's like there wasn't really anything in the sport that was shifting that was causing the outcome to change so and like a lot of people who had been built up were just kind of defeated like almost in media res well i i don't have anything for joy but at least with the twins it was more about like something that i feel like would have been something in the second core because they'd sort of been starting to touch on Toma resenting Maki's relationship with his brother and like the growing split between these characters who were supposedly a perfect team. So I assumed that was something they were going to come back to it in the second half that we would have if only it existed. In the greater scheme of things, I see what's going on. Yeah, especially with the last few matches. Yeah, the tennis matches don't link as tightly to the character arcs as maybe as I think they they could um certainly there's some stuff with the way the partnerships create the closer friendships um but yeah I see what you're saying there um it's so hard this is one that's kind of hard to talk about like I can talk about some of the things that did well but it's hard to talk about a lot of the things that maybe it could improve upon because maybe it was going to go somewhere with those we don't know 
Yeah, I mean, it it feels like kind of splitting hairs at this point, especially because I think my two greatest grievances were in the last two episodes where they're like, oh shit, we need to <laughs> finish literally everything. We have to have or, some kind of find, ending here. find a place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was um, like a weird, I wasn't really sure how to do, to, to like if warning for it was the right thing, but I know this is sort of a thing I've seen people complain about as like the standard plot if you have a, a character who's adopted like with Rintaro where he's he feels like incomplete not knowing about who his birth parents are and like he's obsessed with finding out more about her and we don't know where that goes either um that also just stops well and he he seems to be like one of the only characters that has two loving and supportive parents mm-hmm. right yeah the other thing I, I felt like the series was maybe like too ambitious with the number of subjects it was trying to tackle because it was like every single member of that club had some crazy shit going on in their house. Like, I used to, like, I was joking that maybe their soft tennis club was bad because it was actually just a support group because <laughs> it, it seems so bizarre that every single member of that club has the same, like, almost the same stuff going on at home, just in, like, different, in, I like, mean, in terms of severity, I guess. I don't know that that's that unrealistic, given that, like, these are all the kids who are who are the burnouts or, for whatever reason, don't want to engage in, in a more aggressively competitive thing and they've all kind of without realizing it gravitated towards each other because they don't want that stress on their life and they had this thing that was just a place they could go and be out of their house for a while and then became like a support group but the fact that the unconscious reason they did that is their home lives all kind of suck makes sense to me yeah I just, I guess my problem is it just had too much fucking tennis in it. <laughs> I was like, I, I remember getting to the end and going like, oh man, they may never finish this. How much further could they have gotten in all the subplots if they just <laughs> didn't spend so much goddamn time on soft tennis? <laughs> Good show, though. Anyway, keep tweeting about this show because I will die if I don't have a season two. It would be no. very, very good if we could see where this goes, yes. Save Rye! Yeah, save, <laughs> hashtag save Rye. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Okay. Uh, that's, yeah, we, ooh, gosh, we're going longer than I had expected given the relatively short number of shows we've all been watching together. Oops. Uh, speaking of shows we've been watching together, Ascendance of a Bookworm. Um, once again, I feel like I'm have, I have a hard time talking about this one because I've, I'm also reading the novels. So I'm going to just let the two of you go. Aren't you caught up, like, isn't the anime caught up to the novels that are released in English now? No, they dropped a, they dropped volume four like a month or two ago, and I've read it. And then volume five drops sometime in January, so I'll be um, I'll be a little bit I'll continue to be ahead, and I'm a little bit ahead right now as well. Um, I like it. It's it's incredible how much this show has really done well executed stuff that I thought I didn't like. Like normally, I'm very into character-driven fantasy, which this is, but it's also very into the the mechanics of how its world works, and I am just eating it up when I normally do not care about that kind of stuff. Like, Mao Yu wasn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I just, I really like the, ca- Frida's, Frida's my favorite character now. <laughs> <laughs> Frida's great. But I just, I don't know, I, I'm continually pleased when I watch it. I love all the family dynamics. I still think it, for me, has that little bit of a problem with um, mine feeling a little bit inconsistently written. And maybe that's not even... I feel like there's... It breaks one of two ways, where either mine is consistently written as an adult, and she's just so good at hiding that from Lutz 
that he doesn't notice and then it's weird and kind of icky for the thought of them getting together and I don't think that's necessarily feels true to how well written those scenes are of them just being like smart kids or Mine's characterization kind of yo-yos all over the place depending on who she's talking with which can be a little bit like well all right how much of this is true of any given scene or is it just what the narrative needs but like and that that's gotten much less of a concern to me especially with with Frida being introduced because she feels on the level with with mine in terms of just her relative education level and, and emotional maturity but Every so often it'll crop up and I'll be mildly annoyed, but I think that's really my biggest caveat with what's otherwise just a really well-made um, and engagingly written isekai series that I can't wait to watch season two of. Yeah, I really like the show. I, I think it's a lot uh, more than Dr. Stone. It kind of reminds me of Spice and Wolf. It's just it doesn't have the gross stuff that either of those shows have. <laughs> uh, so I can kind of unabashedly recommend it. Yeah, it, it's weird because like, it's hard to describe, like, what happened in an episode, but it's very engaging. Capitalism. Yeah, I have a hard time describing. Yeah, and that it got really real, too, at the end. Uh, I think some people have been tweeting about, like, it seems like a very low-key kind of safe isekai, but then by the end you realize that, oh, no, it's just, like, like the worst parts of capitalism. Uh, all, like, I mean, it's, it's just, like, realistically evil, I guess everyone's poor and you have to sell your soul otherwise you'll die of terrible diseases because like what else can you do yeah it i think when when it first started airing after the first episode dropped i think the way i think i told you guys it was an iyashike with teeth is how (laughs) i described it um and that very much continues to hold true into part two as um as the ending suggests mine enters the gets involved with the church and kind of starts to interact more with um the noble community um What's been interesting to me watching the show, again, kind of knowing what's happened, but then re-seeing the material again um, through the lens of the anime, is I think the anime does have kind of an Iyashike vibe to it, which, sorry, folks at home, if you don't know uh, the term, it just means like soothing, healing. Um, It's like your laid-back, chill-out shows. Um, And I think that Bookworm kind of has that vibe to it, but despite the fact that it exists in this sort of capitalist no uh, aristocratic hellscape the more you get into the story the more you realize um and i think it's i think it is fascinating to me the way it balances those two elements because i think in some ways even though it takes place in a fantasy world it's more realistic to what it might have actually been like to live in the middle ages than a lot of shows that type that uh, tout themselves as being like gritty realism of the time periods because i think most of the time people you know you get used to the situation you're in does that make sense yeah, like and yeah. you have and you have the family and the friends around you who you love and you care for um but i mean we we live in a country where the health insurance system is absolute garbage and for years people didn't really engage with that it was just like yeah that's just how it is um and now we kind of finally are starting to engage with that and so i think that i think that the way bookworm presents this world where like you find out these terrible truths like yeah some kids a lot of kids just die uh because they don't have the money to to get the the support that they need um i think it is in in some ways sort of starkly true to life in how you do just sort of start to accept things and then make the best of what you have um and i i find that i find that element of it sort of low-key terrifying um but also very like well written the way it slowly unveils like the constant 
uh, decisions, bargains that the people we meet in the story have to make just to stay alive. You mean like the nine-year-old who's like, well, I... I need support for my, uh, for my, you know, chronic illness, and I would like to open a shop, so I, I am going to be a concubine to a, to a rich, grown-ass, middle-aged man, and, you know, whatever, I'm Once gonna Once I come of that. age, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Turns out systemic oppression is scarier than goblins. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's, and again, it's, it's low-key horrifying in a way that I think is kind of, is, again, sort of true to life, where, um, and mine, the, so the novels, one thing, you get more of mine's um, internal monologue, and I won't, I won't talk about anything that's past the three books that have been adapted, um, but because you do get more of mine's internal monologue, you get a little bit more of her reaction to some of this, and when she first finds out that Frida basically sold herself into, like, slavery, she's horrified. Um, and then as she kind of starts talking to Frida and Frida's like, well, no, but I also, you know, I get to, I get to survive and own a shop and I'm going to have like some, some bargaining power in this. So it was actually a pretty good deal. And so, and mine kind of has to, she has to take this moment to be like, well, I still find this horrifying, but I also like have to kind of figure out how to engage with the world. This is the world I'm living in. And I do not currently have the power to make changes to that. Um, and so it's really, the books are very are trying to toe this line between um, when you go to another culture and go everybody's so backwards and everything they do here is terrible and I'm what's the word for that somebody help me ethnocentrism right it's trying so it's it's trying to present like this these characters in these war and this world in a way that is not just like um, look at these barbarians kind of thing and so mine is trying to like not jump to conclusions but at the same time the show is trying to find the line between that and no this is morally like this is like a human rights violation um and you'll see you'll see a little bit more of that in season two um i can i can say that i think um as as you know how do you like where is that line between well this is just a different cultural practice versus oh no this is just wrong um there's 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 no like getting around that this is this is actively harming people and how do we how do we improve that situation with the limited power that the the characters in the story have so um i think you've you've seen some of that here and i don't feel like it's too much of a but my care i'm again because the books are continuing and i'm i'm halfway through an arc um in the novels as well is how the series continues to juggle that because I think it could break bad if it's not careful. Um, but so far, I find the I find that that conversation really interesting in the background of again a a, a nerdy girl who just wants a bookstore. <laughs> that is an interesting way of looking at it because, uh, like as a Westerner watching the show, I didn't even think of like any potential culture shock she could be experiencing. I just look at it and go like, oh, that's uh like you know as an american that's just you know western history oh and present as well so um but i guess in a coming from someone who is in a country with free health care it might not be like that well and i think it draws some apt i think it draws some intentional parallels with the real world as well um yeah she definitely makes a lot of she's just like oh it's just like this yeah. So yeah, yeah. So and again, I don't know how much of this is intentional in the novels, or if it was just that this world just sort of happened to collide with um, some kind of interesting political and social commentary along the way. But I find it very interesting, and I'm again, I'm I'm low key worried that if the books don't handle it right, it could um, it could go it could go unfortunate directions. But um, so far, I, I I like what it's doing, and I'm kind of curious to see where it continues from here. 
I'm very curious uh, what the church is going to be like for sure mm-hmm. since we've already covered capitalism now it's time to go into organized religion and and well in aristocracy like the church is baked into not just the organized religious aspect but then you start to meet the aristocracy because their culture isn't just like you know tiered with capitalism it's also tiered with this landed noble system um where it doesn't matter how rich the merchants we've met are they're still not nobles um so it it starts to deal with those those elements as well Whew. It'll be fun. Yeah. H- having said all of that, folks at home, if it sounds like the series is like hopelessly dull and talky, it, it's not. It's filtered through the lens of these these uh, very charming and cute kids uh, trying to make their dreams come true. So this a lot of this is like background elements that um, gives the story some some sort of depth and meat that we can talk about in the podcast itself. So yeah, yeah it's it's that's, a really a good charming show. I hope it continues to be so in in the second season, which will come out in spring. So, or the split core, I guess. Um, well, I'll real quick just touch on uh, Chihaya Furu is great. Um, they've this arc is really focusing on the adult characters, which is really nice to see because the show the main cast are high schoolers, but it runs in a Jose magazine, so the audience is skewed a little bit um, older, and it's doing a lot with talking about. Um, like the effects of getting older in a sport that requires a lot of physical activity. And there's a character, we've, we've got an article in the queue that I'm very excited about. There's a character who went on maternity leave twice and is coming back into the game and is trying to juggle, um, like nursing a child and, and wanting to get back into Karuta and feeling bad because she feels like she's like abandoning her children for this other thing that she wants and like how she finds a balance between these two things. It's very well handled. Um, and I like it a lot. Uh, so I've, I've been really uh, pleased with what this arc has done. And again, this is season three, but it's never too late to jump in. Folks at home, Chihaya Fudu, best lady-led sports series in recent memory. And then the only other sequel I'm watching, which Peter, you're watching as well, is Radiant. Um, and I continue Hell to yeah. enjoy it. It it does a lot of the kind of goofy plot things that... Um, not, go- maybe goofy's not the word. Um, it's got a little bit of shonen escalation syndrome to it, I think, but, um, it cuts out a lot of the bullshit. It does a nice job of balancing, of giving its female characters, like, actual arcs and time to shine without the main char- the main male character swooping in to save them. Um, I really like Okoho, so... Yeah. Yeah, Seth hasn't done almost nothing this season, actually. He went into a hyperbolic time time chamber so he could train. That was <laughs> Seth's arc, basically. And he dealt with, they did, they did some kind of... The show definitely wants to engage with um, every character kind of has uh, the main characters, their curses all sort of deal with situations where they kind of lose control of themselves or are worried that they will lose control of themselves and like accidentally hurt others. Um, And I'm not 100% sure what it's doing with that, but I like that it's engaging with it. And one of its main answers at this point has been like, don't just wall yourself off because you're you're afraid you might hurt somebody else. Like you, it's important to not treat yourself like you're cursed, if that makes sense. So, and I don't know how well that maps to anything in the real world metaphor wise, but um, I do, I like the way they've been handling those plot points. Um, There was a whole thing where the main character wanted to like cut himself off from his friends to uh, protect them from him kind of thing. And you see that in a lot of shows. And I like that this one kind of called that out. Like, we didn't ask you to do that. Why don't you trust us to be able to stand with you? Um, So... I, I appreciate what it's doing for the most part, barring some convenient plot devices in the last couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, very worried about Okoho's mutation, but they haven't done anything bad with it 
yet. No, and I like that her response to it was to confront the dude and then just like immediately put him in a suplex. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that was pretty good. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Uh, specific about anything or specifically about Radiant? Radiant or any other sequels you're watching. Oh, um, I did feel like I should uh, put out a warning, I guess, about mm-hmm. uh, Sword on Light, Alicization, War of Underworld. I oh. guess the full title. Woo, that's the title. Uh, okay. So I learned that Asuna w- came back, so I started watching the show finally. Uh, and remember how there was a big controversy around the first half where there was that really intense rape scene? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, they're back on their bullshit. Damn it. To establish the new villain, uh, there, I think, are three episodes in a row, each that has a scene just like that uh, involving wow. the, the new main villain. Yeah, he chokes a woman to death uh it's revealed that he killed his childhood friend to see her soul or something like that and uh then he apparently during an mmo game also like strangled sion who's another character to death but it wasn't like that was in the game where if she died she would just you know come back to real life except they really animated him like licking the tears off of her cheek as he strangled her to death and her wow. and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really. That's exploitative as shit. <laughs> yeah, it's very. Each of those scenes is very intentionally animated and sexualized as well. Mm. Uh, wow, they're so edgy. Yeah. <laughs> but the real question is whether he's the, the real villain of the series because the people that are on Kirito's side, uh, he's obsessed with Alice because he wants to, like, kill rape her. Um, but. Yeah, he wants to see her soul specifically because he thinks it'll be the most beautiful he's ever seen or something like that. But on the other hand, the people who are the good guys, quote unquote, want to take her soul out of the the whatever virtual reality artifice they've created and use it to create Terminator robots that have artificial <laughs> intelligence. Yeah, so they're going to endlessly Sorry. replicate her personality and turn it into robot soldiers they will use to use real warfare and kill real people. So... Who wants to do the worst thing to her, really? Those are the good guys. Uh, hopefully everyone None dies. of them. Alice, but, yeah. I guess. Root for Alice yeah. to just get away from everybody. Well, but, yeah, but she's locked in a box, and they're all in the real world standing around this box. So, uh, yeah, okay. I, I hope she makes it out. I hope, like, somebody just, like, kills everybody in that building. But, uh, <laughs> well, this, yeah. this is a really popular show, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Yep. So yeah, uh, just anybody who was uh, like maybe made it through the first half and saw that scene and was thinking, oh, maybe I can watch the second one. They made it over the hump. Uh, nope. No. Just yeah. Just Part gets worse. Course. Excellent. Yeah, actually got worse, I guess. Yeah. Just so thought good. I should put that out there. Sure. Yeah. Are there any other sequels you're watching that are that you could end on a lighter note or is that where is, the podcast wraps up is dr stone still basically okay because i have to admit to myself that i dropped it like not for any particular reason i just there's too much other anime to watch a shonen long runner yeah, for me uh, it was too core another i think yeah season two was announced and they're taking a break um i don't know when the next season is but it's like just before stone wars as i think what the next arc is called mm-hmm. uh so yeah it ended pretty well they had a really good scene where uh like the you know the old guy who's their craftsman uh-huh. yeah he sees all the kids like doing high fives whenever they discover a thing and kind of has this reflective moment where he realizes he's always sort of been like the weird guy off on his own creating stuff and he said he was really envious of them 
because they like I don't know they were they all had like crafting partners. That whole scene was just a sort of set up like how they they're like oh no no you're you've always been a member of the group just because you're older than us like age is just a number. You're definitely our crafting buddies, and then they high five them and stuff. It's a very Aww, good scene. That seems yeah. sweet. So I, I really appreciated how they kind of took the time to very transparently say that science is inclusive and it doesn't matter how old anybody is you can still be friends and like co-workers and like participate in the same things either i guess in this case by doing experiments and crafting objects but also in friendship (laughs) so i thought that was a high point for dr stone that was like almost the end point too so that's a high note to end it on right yeah 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 that'll work That's Ooh, a good, yeah. Saved it. <laughs> Friendship, always a good place to, to end on. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, uh, with that ending note, uh, folks, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. And if you really like what you heard, we'd love it if you'd head over to www.patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a, tr- a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Um, your support really does go a long way towards making Anime Feminist happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, you can check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at AnimeFem, on Tumblr at AnimeFeminist, and on Twitter at AnimeFeminist. And that's the show. Uh, let us know what your picks for the season were in the comments, Annie Fam, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>